and welcome to Cat Out of the Bag. I'm Cat Hennessy, and in this podcast, nothing is off limits. Hello, queens, and welcome back to another episode of Cats Out of the Bag. Today, I have the most fabulous Georgia Grace joining me. I have been wanting to get her on the pod for so long, and if you don't know her, you are living under a rock. She is a certified sex coach and also has her own podcast called In Bed, so she is just has all the knowledge, and I have so many amazing questions for her, so let's bring her in. Welcome. Hey, Kat. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you too. So, yeah, welcome. Um, So I guess like for my listeners who might not know much about you or, you know, wanting to get to know more about you, like I'd love if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, my name's Georgia (laughs) and lots of people call me Grace sometimes, which I think is such an interesting thing that like that's maybe what I look like to people. But yeah, my real name is Georgia. Call me (laughs) G because that will probably make everyone's life easier. Um, I am a certified sex coach. So basically what that means is I work in session with people, whether they are coming on their own or with their partner. Um, I run workshops and events. I'm also a sexual wellness advisor. So I work with lots of, um, you know, incredible pioneering brands and companies, supporting them with all the education and information that they need, um, to give to their audience audiences or their customers. Um, I've got a podcast and yeah, I, I love spring basically. So I'm like absolutely thriving at the moment. I think this change of season is just like, you know, the, the body starts to wear a few less layers and I'm dipping in the ocean. So I'm pretty happy at the moment. Oh, that's great. I love that. Um, so I guess like, how long have you been doing this for and mm. what made you get into it? Mm. I think this is my seventh year working in the space um, and I have a background in, I studied journalism, I moved into PR, um, was working in agencies for a few years and, yeah, I just decided that I didn't want to do that work anymore. Um, it was at a time where lots of information was coming out, you know, the, the loss of activism, the Me Too movement was erupting. Um, there was new research emerging and, you know, all of it was suggesting that actually not a lot of people were having great sexual experiences. So, yeah, I wanted to be a part of that movement of practitioners and activists and people who have been in this field far longer than I have, who, you know, some of my teachers are in their 60s and 70s and you know they've seen a lot more and they've had to really fight for us to be at the space that we're at today um and basically that's a a tangent for I just like really was fascinated by sex I was fascinated by bodies and I wanted to to work in the space. So I quit my job, started studying again. I moved into somatic sexology. So basically um, somatic means um, bringing awareness to the body um, and sexology is the scientific study of sex. And I um, work in that way in thinking that, you know, yes, there is a lot that we can do with addressing, you know, thoughts or emotions and ideas around sex, but also we need to learn about the body um, and we need to learn about what pleasure is possible. Um, We need to learn about what we want to experience, any blockages that may be getting in the way of that, but also how to navigate that with others too. Oh my God, so cool. (laughs) I'm like, so... I guess like what do you feel like when you started learning more about this space and studying and everything, what do you feel like was something that you learnt that kind of, I don't know, maybe surprised you or what was the most like eye-opening thing for you? 
Yeah. Wow. That's such a, a big question because it also feels <laughs> like when I first started studying, it was so long ago. Um, mm. I think the thing that surprised me most was actually um, how much of my own shame and conditioning I had to work through. Um, and that, you know, when I started, I, you know, a lot of people were um, making either suggestive comments or making me feel really uncomfortable at, about the path that I had gone down. There there were certain people who I chose not to speak about this with because um, I, they were judgmental and slut shaming me for going into this space. Um, so that was really surprising. And it was also surprising that kind of fear that I had in, in working in the space, looking at everything else that was going on. Um, and I actually think it's really important for all practitioners or, or people who do work in sexual wellness or speak about sex or relationships or bodies to make sure they're constantly examining and challenging any of the shame that they've picked up along the way because it's not useful for anyone. I don't think mm. shame is ever helpful or necessary. So, um, yeah, that was probably one of the the more surprising things that I had to work through. Wow. I can't believe that like people wouldn't be supportive of like a career journey that you've gone down and like slut shaming you for studying like something that's so normal in everyone's lives. Like- yeah. And I think because it actually, you know, in seven years, we've come a really long way and mm-hmm that it it was really different. And I think we can see so much more um, information out there, like the fact that, you you know, there's a lot on social media about it. There's a lot in the media about sex and relationships. There are a lot of, a lot more people talking about it. So yeah, I guess. trendy now. Yeah, totally. It is, as I think, you know, it should be (laughs) because it is like something that I think a lot of people do talk about um, or do or they're fascinated Mm. by. But now like more podcasts like, you know, yours that are um, making these conversations more normal. So when you think back on it, it is quite surprising to think that um, it was quite a taboo and risky thing to do. Fully. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like, I mean, even like three, maybe even like two or three years ago, like catch me never posing or taking a photo of a fucking vibrator. And now (laughs) here I am like, you know, frothing it. Like it's just, I think like I've always been so comfortable talking about sex and I've always, always, that is not a word, (laughs) always loved sex. And, um, you know, I've, I've been very open, like a lot more open than even half my girlfriends since a young age. And, it's all, I've always kind of been like, I don't know. It's definitely, I've always had a negative like outcome from that. Like, you know, people, yeah, slut shaming mm. me or, you know, thinking I'm, you know, promiscuous for wanting to experiment or, you, you know, date different guys or yeah. So I, I totally get like, I, I do think that it happened a lot more when I was younger as opposed to now. It's like, I feel like I can be more myself, which mm. is, which is really nice. Yeah, I think it's so important for so many people to, you know, having open conversations about sex. I think that is what changes the taboo and the shame around it. And so many times when I'm in workshop and someone's shared, like with a group of strangers and someone across one side of the room has shared something and then someone across the other side of the room will be like, oh, my God, I thought I was normal or I thought I was weird that I liked Mm. that or my body did that. So speaking openly about it can help a lot of people feel a lot more normal and safe in their sexuality. Well, like I'd love to like do an OnlyFans. Like I just feel like I feel my most confident when I'm like Mm. sexual or like trying to be sexy. It's just when I feel the most empowered. But Mm. I'm like I would never because of the judgment and Mm. all of that, which is so fucked up because like, you know, if I feel like I want to do something, I should just do it. But I feel like there's just all the other things that attach to it that make you, you know, not go down certain paths and journeys. Mm. So. 
Yeah, and yeah, I think that is like you know that you will have a different idea as to what works for you and for your body, and there are many different you know processes that people take in sexual liberation and um, and sexual empowerment. So yeah, I, I'm sure that there are many other things that you like to explore. Absolutely. I'm definitely not shy of that. <laughs> and then like run me through these workshops. So, you you know, you obviously are doing the um, sex coaching. So are they like one-on-one or with couples? Yeah. So um, in session, uh, I'll work with individuals and couples and I cover and support um, my clients in a range of areas, whether it is more of a sexual concern or things that are going on that they're needing help to address. Um, And that might be sexual function or arousal, might be around desire and or aka sex drive. I just don't don't call it sex drive because I think desire more accurately describes um, mm. what we're talking about. I saw about. your post on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you've done your homework. Good work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so anything that is kind of a, a concern for people. And then also um, occasionally people will say, I don't necessarily know what I I want or what I need to explore, but I just know that what is currently going on isn't the the best sex I could be having or the most fulfilling sex I could be having. So we might work with more of that curiosity around what is possible for them. Um, And I guess when I say I work somatically, it means that we are bringing awareness to the body. And I think it's quite interesting to work instead of just with questions like, how are you feeling? Or, you know, what emotion comes up for you? We'd use questions like, what are you noticing in your body? Or how does your body respond to that? Um, just to start to build this mind and body connection. And then, of course, because it's somatic, I'll give my clients a range of practices that they can go and take away um, and practice at home because it's great that they're there with me for a one hour or a 90-minute session. But unless they're masturbating or exploring or communicating in real time with their partner or trying different touch practices or how to kiss or to actually do that new sexual thing that they want. Um, There's only so much that we can cover in that Mm -hmm. um, in-person session. So homework and at-home practice is a a big part of the the work as well. Would clients ever, would you ever like make a client, like a couple get into position with each other or something and like do work in that way? Like, would you ever make clients kiss and, and not make them, sorry, but like, (laughs) you know, get them into, I don't know, instead of them going home to do the homework, would you ever do anything like that in a session? So some, um, I think practitioners might, depending on their qualifications and trainings, my sessions are all clothes on. So I think it is this assumption, like, do you just watch people have sex and mark them on what they're doing or not doing? And absolutely not, because that would also make sex a performance rather than it to be something that's pleasure focused. Absolutely. Um, but often, you know, we might sort of stand up in session and, um, there may be some touch-based practices on their hands like for a client who really doesn't know how to communicate what they're wanting or needing starting with something like asking their partner to tickle or touch or to massage their hand is a safe place to start um in terms of other practical things we do we would we would talk through different communication prompts and how to um voice their desires and certain things like that i think in session also it's really common because there are often really big breakthroughs that um, the couple does want to embrace and kiss and or or show love and care and to show that they've seen them and being vulnerable. So I'm not I'm not definitely not going to stop them from having oh, that course. that beautiful moment. Um, and you know if they feel comfortable to do so with the presence of course of me there. Um, but yeah it is also interesting I think because yes whilst we are talking about sex and relationships and orgasm and pleasure, often it doesn't feel like a sexual context for people. It feels like a very um, professional context. So um, whilst we are speaking about sex, um, often 
things do remain within a safe space and a safe realm, like it would for any other therapy or modality, like, you know, a psychologist or a relationship counsellor. So, yeah, it's kind of similar to that. Cool. And, like, what would you say your most, like, common question or, you know, concern people might have around, you know, having sex, I guess? Like, what's what's the most common thing? This is an interesting one because it actually changes um, with different things that are going on in the world and life and, you know, mainstream pop culture even sometimes. So um, when we were all stuck at home um, in lockdowns, we were, uh, me and a lot of my peers and colleagues were working with desire and the fact that a lot of people were experiencing changes in the, their desire. Some people were having the best and, you know, most sex that they've had in a really long time because they were with their partner, they were bored, they were trying to do things that were bringing them joy and pleasure and it seemed like a really good time to prioritise it. And then perhaps the more common response that we saw was that a lot of people found that they weren't desiring sex at all with all of the stress that was going on. The fact that, you know, their partner was shitting in the bathroom while they were on the work call and it was just like too much of a lot of things. So, um, yeah, we working with desire discrepancy, low desire or changes in desire. Mm. Um, but you know, also we've seen a lot in um, sexual exploration at the moment. So people really curious about trying um, out different relationship dynamics, whether it's um, non-monogamy or opening their relationship, swinging, going to sex parties um, and finding out, you know, who they are with their sexual identity or sexual lifestyle. Cool. Um, That would be interesting. Yeah, it is. It is really interesting. And um, yeah, it's definitely not, a, it's not new. I, you know, people have been doing this for a long time, but now these conversations are being made more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. I feel I'm actually, um, speaking to a, um, couple who are swingers this week, um, cool. for another episode and just even to find someone who, you know, does do swinging or is involved in it is so hard because it has been such a like, you know, underground thing for so long, but I definitely, yeah, that's really cool that it's kind of becoming a bit more of a thing that's getting explored as well. So that's awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be listening to that episode. Sounds great. Yeah. I know. I was like to my, um, to my partner last night, I was like, I'm going to try and ask how I can go to one of the parties and like, we go <laughs> yeah. he was like, yeah, yeah. Because that's actually, yeah, and it's one of the barriers actually. People, depending on where you live, um, people are like, how do I even go to a party or a a sex club? Where are the good ones? How will I know if they'll be the kind of people who I'm attracted to or even, you know, want to have sex with? So if you can find out where to go, then I think you're halfway there. Well, maybe Mm. there are a few other things to consider, but yeah. It's totally. <laughs> yeah. It'd just be like, I just think it'd be so interesting as well. Um, cause it's, it's, you, I just feel like you, you know, you see this kind of thing on movies and stuff, but to actually go in and go to one of those parties will, would just be like, you know, is there going to be anyone there that you are attracted to? Like, what if no one, yeah, just, I just feel like it'd be such an eye opening experience. Mm, yeah, totally. So, so yeah. So watch this space. <laughs> Um, so, and then also with, um, your clients, like, do they come to your house or do you have a like office? Like what happens with where the sessions are? No, definitely. No one is coming to my house. (laughs) This is my space. And, you know, just like any other therapist or practitioner, um, I think it's really, really important for everyone to have boundaries. I mean, if I'm looking at my own experience, like I need to be able to go to a space for that to be where I see my clients to walk there and to walk home, to get ready for the day, to decompress. But also I don't want, you know, anyone in my space, but me. And, um, yeah, I would, I would never have anyone here other than my friends, of course. Um, but no, cause I mean, some people have like home offices and stuff, but yeah. So, yeah, but f- so fair. 
Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And I think that there is just like a a little bit of a dynamic too that I want to make sure that um, because it it is such an edgy thing for people to see a practitioner within the, you know, realm of sex or the to, to be discussing these concepts, so often there are so many barriers to getting to session that people will, um, you know, feel really, really nervous the first time they book in to see me. Um, and often the first thing they'll say is, you know, I'm nervous, but I'm excited that I'm addressing this. And I, I'm always thinking about, you know, what is the the most um, safe thing I can do or how can I create a really safe context in acknowledging that it's probably felt like a lot for them to get here. And um, I think one of those barriers in lockdowns was that a lot of people um, felt uncomfortable doing sessions over Zoom. Either their partner mm-hmm. was next door and they wanted to speak about their partner or their roomies might listen in. Um, so, yeah, often creating really intentional spaces that support people in feeling safe. And for me, that was in, yeah, making sure there was that distance and that boundaries between home and practice. That's so true about, I didn't even think about when people are at home and, yeah, if you're wanting things to be private and personal, that's I just some of those things you just don't even think about, but yeah, I can so see how that would make someone uncomfortable if they, you know, didn't want someone to overhear or if they were going through issues with their partner or something. So Mm. that's, that's interesting. Um, Okay. Let's get into some of the sexy stuff. So can we chat about some foreplay? So I'd love to know what you think about like the importance of foreplay and some different types of foreplay that there are for people to try. Yeah. So I actually, when I'm talking about this and what is known in the mainstream as foreplay, I would actually call outer course in that um, anything that that is done (laughs) externally, whether it's oral, kissing, touching, fingering, using toys, you know, that is just as valid. It's not something that you do before penetration, or the main event that a lot of people see, it is or can be the main event for many people. So I like to um, switch the the language on that and call it what it is, which is outer course. And I think it is so important for people and um, it is really vital that um, we do change this definition because, say, for example, if we're looking at a, at the cis-hetero experience, for people with penises, they can experience arousal relatively quickly. Within a few seconds or a few minutes, they may be able to build the arousal that they need in order to have an erection. And, you know, if we're looking at that and if we're um, really conditioned by the narrative that sex equals penetration, then they're ready for penetration pretty quickly. Um, but for people with vulvas, often it can take 20 to 40 minutes to be fully physiologically aroused. And that's not to say that they can't come in 30 seconds. If you've got the right toy, you can certainly come in 30 seconds. However, (laughs) it is looking at the, um, the arousal responses. So your cheeks flush, your heart rate doubling, your pain threshold doubling, your genitals engorging, feeling really sensitive um, and taking that time to build arousal. And if we're rushing from 20 seconds of someone going down on you, going straight to penetrative sex, then a lot of the time people with vulvas aren't getting the stimulation that they need in order to build arousal and in order to come. And because of that, that's where we really saw the orgasm gap and all the stats around that in that um, cis-hetero people were having sex in a way that was focused on penetration and not on pleasure. However, one of, um, you know, Esther Perel's really famous quotes is foreplay begins when sex ends. And I really like that concept that actually foreplay is how you speak to each other. It's how you touch each other. It's how you um, create 
context for desire. It's certain things that you do to bring sex front of mind. It's sharing the mental load and sharing the housework so that um, it's not just falling on one partner and that they feel, you know, so stressed and overwhelmed that they can't possibly prioritize sex. So um, I think if we, I do love that concept of foreplay, that it's looking at everything that happens before, how you're engaging with each other, but also your own body in order to create more of that context for desire. Yeah. I love that. That's really cool. Mm, And like, yeah. What about like, see, I do think this is such a huge issue and it's something that I have struggled with my whole life is, is that whole, you know, a man getting aroused very quickly and, you know, taking a lot longer for women and then them just kind of going in for the, for the kill. And you're just like, ah, I'm not, or it hurts or it's just, how would you recommend for someone to communicate that with a guy? Because I've had situations where I haven't been as comfortable as I would like to be with the guy. So I felt like I can't say anything. And then I just kind of you know, let it happen and I'm not enjoying the experience to its full potential. And I know that a lot of my friends would, and probably listeners here would be doing and have experienced the same thing. So give me your tips. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people really do relate to that. And um, that's why it's important for everyone to have these conversations, I think, outside of a sexual context, because it can feel really vulnerable or tricky um, to communicate um, in the heat of the moment. And of course, I'm not saying that it always is or it should be. I think we have responsibility for ourselves, but also for others in ways to check in, to ask them how the pace is, if they're ready for penetration or if they're wanting to start or explore something else. But having this conversation outside of a sexual context can allow for you know, all people to communicate their needs. And that might be saying something along the lines of, you know, I'm really attracted to you. I love having sex with you. I just want to let you know that it's important for me to take time to build arousal. Otherwise, sex might feel uncomfortable or, you know, painful. Um, and sex should never involve any unwanted pain. So if you are experiencing pain, do seek professional support. Um, but also just so that you feel more pleasure and so that everyone involved in this sexual experience is having fun as and is experiencing pleasure and it's we really need to I guess challenge this idea that um, people with vulvas are too much or they take too long you're you're not too much and you're not taking too long it's just that our definition of sex is so centered around Um, pleasure for the person with the penis, that anything that isn't focused on that feels like too much. So we need to completely challenge and rewrite our own sexual scripts or any unuseful beliefs that are getting in the way between us and our pleasure so that we can all start to experience um, more orgasms, more fun, and, you know, feel better in our bodies in that moment. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a, it's such a tricky one. Hey, it's, it's even just like how, I don't know, it's, it's like porn has shaped so many male beliefs on like what women want and it's just so the opposite half the time. So I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely like something. What about like, I think like there would be women out there if they're seeing someone new, they just wouldn't have that confidence to bring that up. And I know that like I've had the fears in the past where I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want to like say it and kill the mood or I don't want to say it and them not like me. But then at the end of the day, it's like, well, if they're not going to like you because you communicate how you feel sexually, then they're they're clearly not the right person for you. So I think that's something to look at. But do do you think there's anywhere like online or anything people could like share with, you know, their partner or someone they're hooking up with or whatever to make that conversation easier? Yes. I mean, I've got a whole free online video course that it goes through communication. It covers Amazing. 15 different topics. So yeah, definitely. If you're looking for resources, I worked with Normal, um, an amazing sexual wellness company, um, and we've made it free so that 
more people can access this. And in it, there are practices and tools and communication prompts, things that you can go through together. Or if your partner isn't willing or you're not quite ready for that, things that you can do on your own and, and find ways to apply that to sex. So yeah, do do the course. It's free. It's got so much good stuff Amazing. in it. Oh, I'd love if you could send me the link and then I can put it in the show notes for everyone. Cause yeah, absolutely. I think it's like, you know, it's so easy to give the advice for how, how people can communicate. And, and I've done episodes trying to like help other women with how they can communicate. But, you know, I do get some listeners coming back to me and going, you know, I don't have that confidence. I don't feel like I can say that. And it's great to know that there are like other avenues for people that, you know, might not be ready to be upfront. Mm. So yeah. It's important to normalize too that sometimes it is awkward asking for what you want. Sometimes it does feel clunky because sexual communication is like learning a new language and um, we need to actually kind of make friends with the awkwardness and know that it's not a bad thing, Um, that sex isn't just about, you know, seamlessly ripping each other's clothes off and rolling around the walls until you, you know, fall in onto the couch and you both come at the same time, that that is like just off the notebook. And that was a great scene, but it's not necessarily what happens. No. Um, it's, it is there to entertain and arouse and to, you know, make you feel good. But I think um, real human sex often involves clunkiness and awkwardness and, you know, trial and error and lots of occasional queef, (laughs) the occasional or frequent queefing. (laughs) So it has bodily fluids. You are a human. Um, and yeah, making friends with the awkwardness can be one way to get there and practicing this skill. And I mean, if you're ripping your clothes off in front of them, like, you know, they have yeah. the seeing more of you than they would by you sharing a little bit of like, you know, a conversation to speak about a very normal topic. So, yeah, I find it is so funny that um, you're there, you're naked potentially, you're swapping bodily fluids, you're you know doing all of these things, um, but it's the talking that is the awkward thing, and I think I we need to. Yeah, we need to horizontalize talking during sex. It's you're not too much for asking for what you want. It's not weird. Your sexual partners aren't mind readers. They will not know how to they will not know specifically what you want unless you ask for it. So, it is your responsibility to learn about what you want and to communicate your needs. Yeah. I mean, I've even spoken to some of my guy friends and I'm like, you know, would you rather a girl tell you what they like or if, if you're doing something wrong? And they're like, absolutely. They're like, I want them to come just, and I want them to be as into it as I am. So it's like, if someone says something and it helps you learn more about their body or improve the experience and that's, Mm. you know, it's better for both parties. When I ask my clients um, two questions and I'll start with, I even do this in workshops sometimes, I'll start with the questions, how does it feel to ask for what you want? And, you know, a lot of the times I'll hear things like clunky, awkward, weird. Of course, there are many people who say, I love it, it's empowering and so on. And then I'll ask the question, how does it feel when others tell you what they want? And more often than not, people will say, it's sexy, it's useful, it's important, it gives them the information, they feel more equipped with knowledge, they feel like they can be a better lover. So, you know, when people are receiving this information, as it should be, it is received as a very useful piece of information to support you in getting the pleasure that you want or need. So kind of challenging that idea that, um, you know, um, that you're asking for too much or it's, you know, weird to voice your desires or they may not want to know that information because they think they know your body better than you ever could and just giving it a go, voicing that need. That's so interesting that that's people's responses about, and that's so true. Like I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. It is sexy. And it's like, Mm. anyone would rather know, you know, the truth than not knowing, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, Okay. So 
What about, um, can you give us a beginner's guide to going down on a woman? Yeah, I actually did this the other, did you see this post I did yeah. the other day? <laughs> yeah, I've got a whole list of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, um, I, I really loved doing this because um, I think, again, there are a lot of questions around this and often we do, often I'm asked all the time, like top tips for blowjobs. And I'm like, well, why is no one asking top tips for going down on someone with a vulva? Um, and so I think there are a few things that generally speaking I've heard from working literally with hundreds and hundreds of people with vulvas. However, this doesn't apply to everyone. I think the first thing that a lot of people really appreciate is the the context. So this again will be different for everyone, but for some people they want a context that feels safe, a context that feels sensual. Even their um, partner or whoever's, you know, doing the giving in this to remind them that I really enjoy this and I really want to be here and don't worry how long I am or, you know, how much time it takes. Um, I will let you know if I ever need a break or if I'm in pain, you, your role here is to receive. You don't need to um, be worried about me because I'll let you know if I need a break. So essentially setting them up for being as present and mindful and comfortable in their body, and that goes a really long way. I think then um, it is not going straight to the clit, even not going straight in between the legs. So looking at all the other erogenous zones, starting with the neck or the chest, the stomach, inner thighs, Building the inner thighs, people. Like <laughs> yeah. Someone yeah. tickles my inner thighs and like teases me around there. I'm like, oh, woohoo! Yes. Like, let's yes. go. Yeah. But like, I don't do it for long enough ever. Yes, and that's the thing. And they often will read that woohoo, let's go, as you know, get to the clip now. No, wait, hold up, stay with that woohoo, let's go, and you know, stay in between the legs. Um, then there's also, you know, it's really popular that people love to be teased. So that is, you know, maybe moving your kisses or your tongue or your touch closer towards the vulva um, and maybe even hovering over the external glands of the clit but not touching just yet. Um, and because the vulva and labia are so sensitive, what can you do with like your tongue to lick or to suck around? Then when they're basically like, you know, some people will be trembling and like begging to be, you know, touched um, or to be licked or sucked on their clit, then, you know, going to it, but maybe starting with, you know, one kiss or one lick and then um, moving back away. So then that's, that's also the edging process. Um, then in terms of the kinds of uh, ways to stimulate. There's many things that you can do with your tongue, uh, using the more flat part of your tongue to move it in an upwards motion. So up in between the labia and then across the glands of the clitoris. And if all of these words aren't making sense to people like labia and clitoris, that's probably a really good step to do before all of this, to go to the course and look at the anatomy. Um, just so that you know all the different erogenous zones or sensitive areas. And then um, as you're doing that flat up thing, you might even sort of wiggle your tongue between the labia and then up to the clit. Um, the tongue is a very powerful thing, so you might work with how you can make it really strong and tight and sort of, sort of also making it like a pointer and using the pointed part, whether that's going in circles or up and down, diagonal, um, sucking the the glands of the clit so this isn't for everyone some people might find it too intense but like pursing your lips around and sucking oh, I um, love that. yeah yeah <laughs> and, and some people also like kissing at the same time feels really intimate for them but also feels really nice so like like a kind of like that kind yeah. of kiss but you know you can also do it with french kiss a little bit of tongue Dude, I'm like need so much clitoral stimula stimulation because I'm super internal. So yeah. to make me come through head is like really difficult and I probably wouldn't be able to unless I had like some sort of internal stimulation too. But Amazing. What, yeah, which is like super interesting and a lot of my girlfriends are like 
could come like in two seconds from the clitoral stimulation. But what was you just saying about the sucking the clit? I love that. And then if the person sucks the clit and then they kind of like, like rub their tongue against it gently at the same time, it's like this, I've only really had it done to me like twice, but it was like mind blowing. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a great one. I've actually, um, been down on, been down lol on a few, on a few women. (laughs) Um, and the first thing I did in my head, I was like, okay, well, what do I like? And that was yeah. like, I literally just tried to like mirror. I know like everyone's different, but I guess just getting more in touch with that like feminine side as to like what I enjoy and it worked a bloody treat. Mm. Yeah. So. And I think that a lot of people with vulvas who are going down on someone else with a vulva for the first time, often I hear that they're a little bit nervous. They don't know what to do. It might feel like an entirely, you know, new way of having sex for them. But also, you know, as you've said, everybody is different, but you may have more information than you think about oral because you may have, you know, a similar structure. So, you know, give yourself a a little bit of credit as well. And as you said, like some people really love external clitoral stimulation, um, but others also, you know, prefer internal stimulation. So you can always pair that external kissing, licking, sucking with internal stimulation of the G-spot or using a toy at the same time um, or, you know, using any other tool that you you have at the ready so that you're stimulating perhaps more than one erogenous zone as well. It's so true about like, you know, women being scared for like, or like, you know, not knowing what you're doing the first time. Like the first time I went down and a girl was in a threesome mm-hmm. and I was like, <laughs> it was so awkward. I was like, like sticking out my tongue. Like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, does it feel good? She's like, I can't feel anything. I was like, oh, fuck. and like, yeah, I was so nervous and didn't know what I was doing. And the next time I was like, I fucking got this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and she was so good at it. I was like, oh my God, you've done this before sister. But, apparently she <laughs> but um, yeah. So it was like, yeah, I think just, you know, letting go of those fears a bit is what I wish I kind of did the first time, but I'm glad I experienced it to, you know, learn and then do it again and really, really enjoyed it. So yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty, um, it's actually like, I thought it was going to be completely different. Mm. I was, I don't know. I just thought it would taste weird or smell weird or yeah. And I've been down on three women and none of it was weird. Like all mm. of their, not, sorry, not that it would be weird, but you know, it, it, they all like tasted really nice. There was no smell. Like it was, it wasn't what I was envisioning originally. Whereas I do feel like there is that stigma with a lot of my straight girlfriends. They're like, I'd never do that. But I'm like, it's actually like really normal and actually kind of nicer than sucking a penis sometimes. Cause mm. I've had some dirty dicks before. So, you know, <laughs> it's like, it was, yeah, it was great. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important to challenge the homophobia when it comes yeah. about. Like, uh, you know, yes, of course, everyone has sexual preferences and everyone, you know, just because you're sexually empowered and confident doesn't mean that you need to or necessarily want to have sex with every body or gender or sex. Um, however, if, you know, you're hearing things like, oh, I could never have that or do that because Mm. that's gross or weird or strange, then we need to challenge and confront the internalized homophobia that many people have been conditioned to grow up with. And yeah, like last night I shared this meme and it was, and actually I've heard this from so many people before I saw this meme, but it was like, um, you know, have eating pussy straight out of the shower tastes so bland. Like I want my person to do some jumping jacks or go to the gym or get Stop. a little bit sweaty. Yeah. Yeah. And since too many DMs from people, are, you know, agreeing that that's what they want, that they want a, a person to taste like a person. I've and never heard that before. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I right. have been flooded with 
DMs about this. And I think often actually that's a big fear for people from releasing into pleasure. Exfoliating my vagina before. Yes, I know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Please don't do that. That is not safe. (laughs) Like ready for like thrust, but like I'm so it's something I've always been so worried about. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of the time people really love that their partner tastes like a a human, that genitals will taste like genitals. And, of course, there are, you know, certain hygiene and safer sex practices that we are all responsible for to, you know, make sure we're having the the safest and, and, you know, best experiences possible. But um, really try to eliminate that fear you have around um, and so when I say you, I don't mean specifically you. Yeah, no, no, like I don't. General, yeah. <laughs> the, the people here with us um, to, yeah, to challenge the fear around you need to taste like a rosebud because your pussy you isn't a rosebud. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pussy. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, lo- I love that. And like even just hearing about that meme and how many DMs and responses you've got around that, like I would have never thought that and I haven't seen the meme. So send me the meme too. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> loving this. <laughs> that's so good. And then like what are some like common fantasies you've experienced in your line of work? Me just totally sidestepping here. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I think there are like a few really – common ones. Actually, on my podcast, we did a whole episode on this and interesting, actually, this is fantasies are often shaped by things that are going on. So around Christmas, there's lots of Christmas themed Claws, Santa Claus, you know, things going on. Um, In the pandemic, we were seeing a lot of kind of medical gear and apparatuses and people wanting to wear masks and gloves um, and having sex. Yeah, and a fascination in that. Interesting. yeah, and I think a really common fantasy is exploring or having sex with people of the gender or sexuality or sex that they don't typically um, have sex with. A, a lot of fantasies for group sex, whether that's, you know, a threesome or an orgy, a lot of fantasies around um, power, whether it is dominance or submission. Um, and then like some fantasies that are just around, um, feeling loved and feeling seen and, um, feeling cared for, uh, having someone to, you know, who's really attracted to that, um, often, you know, uh, there is this assumption that fantasies are, are all about, you know, kinky and, and wild and, you know, sexual exploration. And yes, that is some people's fantasies, but some people, it, it may be more about an emotional connection. Um, or even like, well, sorry, keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, you go, you go. No, like even you saying about like people having the fantasy to, you know, have sexual experiences while wearing a mask and stuff like to me that sounds so unsexy but you know everyone's so different and different things yeah you're so right shape what people are into as well yeah so I've, I've ne- I would never even have thought of that like I feel like whenever you go people think of fantasies it's like oh foot foot fantasy or yeah. you know they they automatically go to something that's a bit taboo rather than something that's actually quite mainstream yeah Absolutely. And every single body is so different. Everyone has different desires and needs and interests. Um, So yeah, there's a very famous saying that's used a lot in the sex space, which is don't yuck my yum. And just because you're not into it, it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be. Don't yuck my yum. I love that. <laughs> I'm always like, you know, no kink shame, no like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's kind of what I say, but I like that way of saying it. It's a bit like, I don't know, it's a bit more fun. Yeah. Um, for those wanting to spice it up in the bedroom, what are some fantasy-related foreplay ideas that you would recommend? Yeah. So again, because this is such an individual thing, probably what would be most useful for people to do is get a sense of, you know, their eroticism. So um, what we do is we might map out your most exciting or memorable sexual experience that you've had. Um, and, you know, to be it has to be pleasurable and positive and um, 
just looking at all of the things that were involved that set that up for a really great time. And then um, we'd map out all like a, f- a fantasy that you have. And whether that's something you think about when you're masturbating or something that you um, go to when you're having sex or something that you think about on the bus to work, but we just like write that out in detail. And then we compare the two and think uh, and look for any themes that are present. Um, and, you know, sometimes there are themes around specific partners or situations. Maybe it is around like an extension or a restriction of time whereby you have all the time in the world or you have absolutely no time at all and you've got to be really quick. Um, Maybe it is around more power dynamics or Mm. novelty and newness. So instead of me telling you what you should fantasize about, maybe it could be really useful to think about some of these themes that are present for you and how you might be able to recreate this uh, on your own or with someone else. Do you know what really like turns me on, which is like, um, it's, 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 I mean, it's not strange, but it's like something about come for me, mm. like male semen. I don't know what it is, but I think what also gets me aroused is like doing something that I shouldn't be doing. Mm. Like it's the like, I, yeah, the forbidden. So I'm like, if a guy would like come in me or like something like that, it felt like, because it's, you know, I don't, might not necessarily be ready to have a child. Like it, it is a bit like on, on the nose, I would say, um, to unless like obviously I'm on the pill and stuff, but like that would always like really, really turn me on. And it's like, you know, another one of my girlfriends is so like, like something so different or like would never let her boyfriend come inside of her or anything. So it's like, it's just so interesting that everyone's desires are so different. Totally. Yeah, totally. And uh, it's also really fun to talk about this with your friends because Mm. you can get a sense of what everyone's into and that might also give a little bit of inspiration too. Absolutely. Yeah, this is so (laughs) true. Oh, this has been awesome. Well, I guess before we like wrap everything up, I'd love to ask if you have any sex tips for the week for the listeners and yeah, do do you have anything we can... I think a tip that is always really useful is slow down. Like everyone has sex really, really quickly and hard and fast sex is great. But if you start hard and fast, you have absolutely nowhere to build to. So by starting a little bit slower, by pacing it out, by bringing your awareness to your body and your breath, um, it is, you know, a, a different way to explore pleasure and sex. Awesome. I love that. Slow down, ladies <laughs> and, and gents, everyone take, take a beat. And then also like, so where can the, obviously I'll put the link to the course for like communication and stuff in the show notes, but if they wanted to find anything else that you've done, where would you recommend them? Um, the listeners looking. So you can find me um, on Instagram at gspot.underscore um, or head to my website. There's literally all the information is in my bio. And if you want more um, sex education, go to itsnormal.com. There you'll find this free online video course, as well as me talking through a range of sex toys and how to use them. Um, and there's just like so much information on their blog as well. So if you're wanting more on that, head there. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll obviously put all of the information in the show notes and stuff for you guys as well. So it's easy for you to find, but um, yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on and like I've learned so much. This has been awesome. So yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Kat. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I'll see you all next week. Cats Out of the Bag is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. Special shout out to Rode Microphones for powering this episode. 